We are I. All right, so like almost every time we start talking about stuff that's super interesting that I want to record, so I'm going to dial that back a little bit about how you guys, watch well, you dial back a little bit more after five, six, seven months. Bridget, thank you and welcome back. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you again. Yeah, and so what we were just talking about is how the weather in New York and kind of more like Northeast Atlantic kind of, you know, New Yorkish area that the weather has been so much different this year. Do you guys are, um, you're getting a lot of weather, like what we get in the Pacific Northwest. And you're talking about how you feel like it affected people having very minimal sunlight through January. So like, right. yeah, just kind of go in and go start going into that in, in detail. Cause yeah, this is something that we deal with chronically every year in the Pacific Northwest is, you know, vitamin D levels drop, you know, lack of sunshine, lack of going outside, you know, really heavy, low-lying clouds full of rain. So um, how have you guys been dealing with it? What have you seen and noticed with people? Well, it's been, in addition to the lack of sunlight, it's been interesting because it, the weather has been very much like the Pacific Northwest up until just a week or two ago. And so it's been, you know, very minimal days of sunlight. And it's been damp. And it's been like, uh, 40 to 50 degrees warmer than it usually is. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> people here in, in the Northeast are used to having a very different climate in the wintertime. And I feel like our bodies have adapted to that over the years. And so in the winter, the yang chi of the body tends to go inward more mm -hmm. and when it does that, it sort of stimulates the Agni or the digestifier or the transformative principle of the body so that in the wintertime, yes, on, on one level, we do go more inward sort of mentally and emotionally. The, the sunlight is less, it's colder, there's less, you know, mm -hmm. desire to be outside. But, um, the inward movement of the the transformative principle of the body allows us to be able to percolate, you know, with things that are, have been kind of lying under the surface that we don't really think about or dwell on or try to reconcile in the warmer months when we're distracted by out, outside activities and, and the beauty of the sunshine and all of that. And it also creates uh, a shift in the microbiome and the gut. And we start to crave things that are like more fatty and heavy and our bodies can digest it more in the wintertime. Um, but what's happened because I think it's been so warm. And what I was seeing is a lot of people coming in with like feeling really heavy and off, like limbs feeling heavy, um, logy, foggy headed, depressed, things that um, you would normally attribute to more dampness. And it was more damp in the environment. There, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of snow and it was heavier. There wasn't a lot of light. And so it was 
I think confusing people's bodies here into feeling like it was like an early spring. And we've even had, like, I had a client send me photos in her yard of this annual flower that usually comes out in May that bloomed in January Mm -hmm. and you know certain birds that are around and it's just it's very strange and so I think what's happened is like in the winter time the the transformative principle of the body sort of accelerates so we can digest that heavier stuff whether it's food or thoughts or whatever it is and then in the spring whatever excess dampness that has accumulated over the winter from sort of that hibernation or pre-hibernation type of vibe starts to lift. And that gunk that may have accumulated, you know, it's natural to gain weight over the winter, for example, it starts to want to rise up and out and get transformed and released from the body. So I feel like what's happened the past few months is that people have had this, like, they're craving heavy foods and they're eating them, but they've got this sort of like springtime thing going on with their body at the same time. And, and it's like, no detox, detox, lighter foods, but it's still cold and damp. So, and they know it's winter and the sun cycle lets your body know it's still winter. So it's very, very confusing. So it's like, there's these forces in the body that are sort of at odds with one another that are, trying to happen at the same time Mm -hmm. and now that we're shifting into more cold weather um it's 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 interesting to see that it it, how people are are shifting with that as well and i'll sure i'll recognize that over the next few weeks and um if we have a long winter which winter has been seeming to drag out here the past few years like we'll know tomorrow with it being groundhog day and tomorrow, yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I'll be surprised if he if he doesn't see a shadow or she. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's been really strange, you know, because like in in Eastern medicine, we go more by like the sun cycle and the dryness in the atmosphere in terms of the seasonal cycles. But there is that layer that we also are going by, which is the climate and the weather that's happening in the environment at that time too so both of those things are at play and they were both kind of at odds with each other here in the northeast for the last last yeah. few months yeah, so I noticed trying, that, yeah. Sorry, no i've just been advising people kind of how to you know dance with that and and figure out like which you know yeah you're craving heavier foods but we really have to follow dinacharya and have those earlier in the day when your digestive fire is the strongest and then, you know, ha- make sure that you're getting some lighter things in there, too, because it's like people's, it just feels like there's been so much stagnation, mm-hmm. even yeah. though, you know, we have been able to get out because it hasn't been too icy on the sidewalks and things like that. Yeah, you know, and like I've noticed, like for like out here, like over the years, like as I become like more like in tune with the things that I need to do personally, based on the things that are kind of generally accepted, you know, like if you live in the Pacific Northwest and you don't have vitamin D like in your cabinet somewhere, you know, like it's odd, you know, like everybody out here has some vitamin D to get that extra supplementation in, you know, during like 
the the rainy season where you know we can go like 30 40 50 days without seeing the sun or anything just how much that affects people um just yeah. not having you know or their vitamin d stores getting very low and i know for me and i don't know whether it's because i spend so much time outside when it's nice um then all of a sudden i'm indoors or a combination between that being so active you know vitamin d being you know like a, a more of a hormone vitamin than just a vitamin vitamin that um, I have to take about like, you know, eight or 10,000 I use a day to really yeah. feel like I'm just skimming by, you know, at the base of where I feel like I'm kind of comfortable, you know, but it could be a little bit more than that. I just, I just know that keeps me at this certain constant base all the time, you know, but it's still, I find it very ironic, even though that like, we know these things, like it's not it's not still like very publicly talked about. Like I, I like how much, you know, things like that, like affect our mood, you know, like I even find like my ability to be able to even do physical tasks. Cause you always feel like that damp cloud on you. Like you're just dragging yeah. something through yeah. life. And it's like, like, is that something that you suggest to people out there in these times, you know, and now there's been a little bit of shift or yeah. has it been so subtle so quickly that you guys are just kind of catching up to those cycles or. Yeah, no, I tell people to take, yeah, vitamin D is one of the things I encourage people to supplement with. Mm-hmm. And then, um, like you just mentioned, damp cloud. Yeah. That's like exactly like the ideology of what dampness does to the mind and the emotions, the consciousness mm-hmm. during the time of year when there isn't a lot of sunlight. And so I'll still encourage people to go outside for at least like 15 minutes a day. I mean, I don't think some people go outside at all. Um, And you still get some light, even if it's overcast Mm -hmm. and um, you know, just in going for brisk walks and taking deep breaths and even sweating, you know, if the person's not really depleted, I'll, I'll recommend that they do some kind of a, like do something to sweat, whether it's go to the sauna at the gym or um, even just taking a super hot bath to like induce a sweat to just kind of open the pores and push stuff out a little bit Mm -hmm. because the dampness does get trapped in the body. And, um, and a lot of the regular dietary things I would ordinarily recommend, which are, you know, don't overeat, like have regular meals, regular meal times, eat earlier in the day, um, try not to let yourself be worried or angry or fearful while you're eating. Um, uh, uh, minimize snacking, mm-hmm. you know, add some kitchery to your diet, like have kitchery, which is really easy to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, have that like a couple times a week or even once a day, all these things, because it's when we're doing the opposite of those things that, dampness is more likely to accumulate yeah and I even find it like out here it's like you can tell there's a certain time of year in the Pacific Northwest that like you just don't want to talk about hot button things with people because you know that everybody's just kind of humming right on the edge it's like their toes are off the cliff and they're just they're waiting you know it's because everybody just gets so irritable out here and I think you know because you know out here like outdoor life is so big you know, in the Pacific Northwest, like everybody like kind of lives outside. And when there's just like that, you know, it's been raining for three weeks and there's like mud up to your knees and it's cold. And, 
you know, and it's, it's just miserable, you know, and you just get yeah. into this area where then it's like, if you don't do proactive, you know, anything, you know, and that's why, like, for me, like, when people say they're like, how do you keep doing it every day? I'm like, because I don't want to go back to having a contrast to what it's like, if I don't prioritize the things that I do every day to kind of make me feel even imbalanced, you know, because mm-hmm. I see it in like everybody else, you know, like you see it in the way people drive in a parking lot, how they act in a grocery store, like, you know, activity online, all that kind of stuff. And just everyday interactions with people. It's like not having that, that warmth to be able to go out to like in the day and just like that dark dreariness, that look to life. I feel like if you have undealt with issues internally, that external force it just it nags on them it's like that little devil on your shoulder is like ah it's my turn to prevail and it just rumbles up all this like unresolved issues you know like mentally emotionally physically in the body and you see it in people like you know they get lazy like you said like they don't want to do anything they want to hibernate inside but you go from hibernating at the office all day to hibernating you know in front of Netflix all night, you know, and most people aren't getting a whole lot of activity anyway. And then they reduce that even further. And then it's like, you know, what happens when people are saying they're doing nothing? Well, then that's where the snacks kind of come in. So then the junk food is there. And then, you know, it's like all of these things just kind of perpetuate at this time of year. So after like a month or two of like our winter slash rainy season, it's like you see the buildup of people. And it's like as soon as it starts to get nice outside, it's just, it's like somebody's just pulled the tablecloth, like the magicians pulled the tablecloth yeah. off the table and like the forks and the knives and the cups are all sitting there and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like that's better. It's just like this dark veil has been lifted off people out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there's a, a correlation between what's happening in the outside environment, like the darkness and the dampness, how that may like, you know, activate that those like those that dark energy inside of us and lift that like do you think that there's a synergy between absolutely absolutely and I think that it's a good time to like comprehend what's happening internally and do our best to process it Mm -hmm. so that it is healed or cleared or whatever it needs to be so that it doesn't keep happening over and over and over again, at least at the intensity yeah. that we might feel, you know, when we first are being troubled by it. Let um, me this, yeah. yeah, let me ask you this. This might be like a kind of a good segue because I feel like they're very compatible avenues here. Is that what are your thoughts with how heavily like engineered food is becoming pushed on the world? You know, whether that be engineered meats. You know, whether that be like, you know, lab grown and cultured steaks to, you know, beyond burgers to, you know, all these like lab grown fruits and vegetables. And all that. Like, do, do you think that there's a, a, a pretty big impact that's going to happen to us internally and like the confusion that we are going to feel in our physiology about like, like what really is going on with this food? You know, like I, you know, it seems to be the same thing I'm used to eating, but there's always going to be some variant to it. That's just not quite the same because it wasn't biological, natural selection evolution. 
you know, because the process was too fast. Because, you know, that's the one thing, you know, obviously we know there's genetically modified food. Nature does that on its own. You know, like it, it continue food continually adapts, whether it be a plant or an animal, flora, fauna, mm-hmm. you know, but just not at the speed and the changes that are made in the lab. Like, what do you see potentially being some of the effects of all of this lab-grown and manufactured food versus just natural food of, you know, the planet around us? I think that we're already seeing the effects. I think there are a lot of metabolic problems, a lot of autoimmune disorders, a lot of cancers. I think that we're already seeing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been going on for decades um, and it seems to be either I've become more aware of it over the years or it's seemingly affecting more younger people now um, as well. So, I, yeah, I think it's already a big problem. And um, the faster, like something I thought of while you were saying that is the faster something is cooked the the more chance it has to create ama or toxicity in somebody's body mm-hmm. so like grilling or frying or deep frying it's not just because the oil it's just like the whole process of it is like too quick the slower something cooks the more easily digestible it is from mm-hmm. an eastern medicine standpoint and so, well, you even see faster, that in say like a steak, for example, that the slower you cook it, the more it breaks down the tissue and the more tender that's the whole point behind slow cooking meats, right? So you can, you kind right, of see right. that principle taking place in front of us is that, you know, like it does tenderize meat. So like, why wouldn't we think that that would eat in digestion, right? Correct. And then um, man, if the manufacturing process itself is sped up on the food and the food is created more quickly, then that's not just like you're cooking it faster, but maybe that same sort of effect in the body that it's harder to digest and break down mm-hmm. would be the case, right? So um, maybe, pro- I mean, processed food creates ama. We know that. Mm-hmm. That's been taught in Ayurvedic medicine for a very long time now and in Chinese medicine creates dampness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our digestive fire, you know, gets sort of confused or diminished. And then that creates a problem because then you can't digest the things properly that you used to eat 10 years ago or, you know, 10 weeks ago. Yeah. And you think you still can and you keep eating it. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, yeah, I think that that's a huge problem. I see it just for like, you know, where if you, you know, if you kind of pay attention on the periphery to like a lot of these things that are, that are going on that seem like, I don't think most people realize how fast they're all coming up. So like, we've seen it with these, like, say, gene editing, you know, vaccines, you know, like where, where that's completely new and experimental. And now we're kind of finding out, you know, granted, this is a hot subject too, but it's like, we're finding out that, you know, maybe we shouldn't have just thrown these, you know, gene editing MNRA vaccines into the markets. There's seeming to be some problems that nobody really anticipated because of how fast it kind of got entered. Then you couple that with like, you know, lab grown food. Well, it's like, well, where did you get your steak? Not from the local rancher. I got it from the local lab. You know, so you got like these steaks that were grown in the lab. And it's like, well, where did you get your 
you know, your fruits and vegetables. It's like, well, you didn't get it. That was grown in a, in a field or you did, but it's been so heavily modified. It visually looks like it's supposed to, you know, but it's not really a representation of what that tomato or that cucumber, or that bell pepper should be or could be if it was just allowed to be able to flourish it in nature. Then it's like, you know, we put ourselves in, you know, like these high rise condo buildings and, you know, um, you know, densify like our neighborhoods, which then, you know, takes away a lot of this green space and this look of nature. And then you have to go seek it. And if, it, if you have to seek things and put in effort, we all know that most people are going to be like, oh, I'll do that next weekend. Or like, oh, I'll do it when it's nicer outside because it takes a little bit more effort. It's, you have this complete disassociation with, with real life. And then you couple that with augmented reality is a big thing. The metaverse is a thing. The, you know, um, virtual reality is thing. These, these baby farms potentially to help, you know, repopulate the planet if we get to too low in numbers. Like there's all this real artificial side of life that's kind of stewing in the background that I feel is kind of just being thrust into kind of mainstream now because nobody's really been paying attention to it enough. And then it's gained so much momentum kind of behind the curtain that now the curtain's been pulled out and we're so far down all these roads now. It's like, is there any turning back? You know, like, you know, or, or is this our, is this our own natural course that we're supposed to be on? It just doesn't feel right. Because I just, I find that everybody that I talk to in my life, they just, they have no real connection with a lot of this stuff that's going on now. That's very artificial some of it's cool to see like these Boston Dynamics robots dancing and doing backflips and all that kind of stuff. But you're like, well, what does that really mean? Like, you know, like what is, what is this really going to lead to? Because like you can see a lot of like artificial tasks or repetitive tasks that these things could be doing, you know, that human beings are used to doing that we won't be doing anymore. We're like, where does that leave us all in like the confusion that's like inside of us and around us? Like, like, what are your thoughts with all of this, you know, air quotes, advanced technology that's supposed to make our lives better or easier? I didn't even watch the dancing robots. <laughs> oh, it's wild. It's wild because they have like ones that look like dogs dancing with the ones that look like humans or they're just bipedal, you know, and it's like there's one dancing and then another one hops in and it starts dancing in synchronicity and then like a couple more jump in and then there's like, a hundred and they're all dancing in perfect synchronicity it's wild to see it sounds like the opening ceremonies at the olympics in china yeah (laughs) right you know like it's just very much synchronized i mean that's incredibly impressive i'd much rather see it in humans though i don't know i just um i don't feel very drawn to to knowing much about that stuff because it feels like it's so far beyond my control or reach or um, I just feel like you said, like we're already kind of down that road and people are fascinated by it. And so it'll continue to go on. And that's why we have movies like Terminator and (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Like the the what can go wrong part. Yeah. So um, yeah. To me, like it's the it's the dis- disassociation with just some of the more fundamental principles of life. Like if we have robots doing repetitive menial tasks, so humans don't have to do that, and those people can do something more productive or better for them, 
sure, fine. Like I'm all for it. Like what, but the things that worry me are the, the experimental things that we put in our bodies, the food that's not real food and the reality that's no longer reality. Like if everybody's walking around with a different pair of glasses on walking through down the same street, but you know, I have, you know, like GI Joe commando guys leaping out of the building because I want this crazy battlefield scene and somebody else is walking down the same road right beside me and they have like care bears and rainbows and unicorns and like we're just living in like like that's the part that worries me because so many people are disconnected from real life already anyway and it's just like this hyper perpetualization of things that are just going to disconnect us from reality more and I don't know if you agree with me on this but it's I see the disconnection between people so much um, that I don't think things like that enhance those interpersonal connections. Because the one thing that I've actually realized by Zoom and video chats and all that kind of stuff is I actually, when somebody wants to call me on the phone now, I'm like, that seems weird. Because I want to see somebody when I'm talking to them because I realize how much I actually like to be visually connected with somebody, not just from an auditory perspective, but you would choose the phone over texting, but you realize like how much better just being in front of somebody is, even if it's not physically in front of them. But we both know if we were sitting in the same room, having the same conversation, it would be a little bit better. There'd be like Mm -hmm. this different dynamic to it because we're physically in the same location. But a lot of these things are kind of steering us away from like, like that side of life. Uh, and mm-hmm. it seems like on on a on a fairly substantial trajectory uh, yeah. down that road, it's it's very fascinating to watch for somebody who wants to not really have anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah, it's disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, because the value is totally different there. It's like you're dealing with a different planet in terms of people's mentalities mm-hmm. and what they prioritize. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, I, yeah, it's that disconnect connection from nature, from each other, from oneself. I mean, what is all that stuff, but a distraction. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and it goes back to like, you know, like, what do we really need to be distracted from these days when we're doing such a poor job of engagement, but it seems like the only thing that a, a, a growing majority of people, the only thing they really want to be connected with is a different experience or version for themselves, but not an an experience and a version of themselves as a part of this conglomerate of people around them. It's like, how can I just only focus on my own customized experience to a greater degree? And it's like, do you have to address all of the internal issues that we have, whether that be spiritually mentally emotionally physically you know digestively any one of these realms if you can continually change like your perception of what reality is and not actually have to participate in the reality that's then set before you because you can continually change it yeah i feel like it's such a um damaging path it's like in with i mean even social media with a screen period, right? Mm-hmm. Just with the screen, forget about, you know, the um, I don't see any way out. 
I don't see any way back. Like, it almost seems like it would be easier to put nothing or heroin mm -hmm. than to quit the lifestyle integration of screens. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, look at all the people with, like, Apple Watches and stuff. Yeah. I, they're, they're, it's, like, constant. Like, they're constantly distracted and engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why, like, you know, my fitness tracker, like, I don't have any of the notifications from your phone on it. I'm like, I wear it because it's a watch and then to set the settings for when I'm doing, like, physical activities, you know, but I realize, you know, because it's an environment that I'm in very much like you, you know, where people, it's like they should be focused on what they're supposed to be doing, but then an alert comes up, you know, on their watch and, you know, you have to engage with it. And it's like, well, if it's at that point in time, like, why not just carry your phone on you? Because it's actually easier to engage. It's with facilitating massive thought imbalances. Mm -hmm. Massive. That I don't see a lot of people coming back from. Seriously, mm -hmm. I don't. Like, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I like my I, I like my phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this little, you know, creature. Yeah. And um I I get on it and I look around at stuff and you know before I know it I'm like oh my god what am I doing you know but that's because I come from a history of no phone right mm -hmm. so I can discern the difference between what's you know real and what's kind of this imagined like dopamine trigger thing yeah and people are being raised now that don't have that and the in the you know generation before them too so i just don't see how being wired for that it's going to be really hard to unwire from it you know mm -hmm. i mean it's hard enough for us to be honest with ourselves introspective sit with how we're feeling meditate practice like real yoga or Taoist practices, you know, like it's hard enough as it is. It was hard enough before, you know, anything electronic to do that or else those teachings wouldn't be in place. Like our minds are already kind of on their own trajectory. Um, without well, and, the, and the thing is now, like how many people are not connecting with a professional, you know, somebody who's experienced in doing this, you know, where they have to travel somewhere, they have to sit with that person, or they have to sit with a group of like-minded people there, because they're choosing to engage in that environment on their device. You know, so it's yeah. like, they're trying to, it's probably cheating the system to some degree, because it's like, you know, we're using this distraction to be able to create harmony, you know, but just because we can't disassociate ourselves from the distraction, in that harmonic environment, it's like now we even need this tool, this phone or this tablet to be able to create this peaceful environment too. It's like you trap yourself on both sides of it. You know, like, yeah. you know, you're walking yeah. both sides of that double-edged sword where it's like, I know this is an addiction, but it's a necessary addiction because I use it for good. And it's like, well, how much good are you using it for, for versus how much bad we are all using it for? And it's an acceptable addiction. It's like alcohol, right? Alcohol and it's phones worse. become like the I two very commonplace acceptable addictions where it's just like, it's okay to drink a couple glasses of wine every night and it's okay to spend the evening playing on your phone because you're just, right. it's your downtime from your day. 
I think there's going to be a cumulative, I think, well, um, I can tell you one of the uh, appointments I had my dad at was to the neurologist and the neurologist was telling me that the kid, he's getting kids in his office whose parents are concerned, who they're concerned, 20s, 30s, because of memory loss. Oh, wow. And he said that there's nothing clinically wrong with them. What is happening is that their attention span is so short from watching clips of stuff all the time mm-hmm. that they they don't have the attention span to actually retain very much at all. And then their recall is even terrible. Like it's affecting them in different ways cognitively just from watching like TikToks all the time or something like that. I wonder if that could like hyper accelerate like a, a mock environment of Alzheimer's where like when these kids get older where it's like they have Alzheimer's like symptoms but they don't have the physiology of like of Alzheimer's itself. You know like there's no right. markers in their physiology but they're they're expressing similar I don't, I don't know. I mean, that would be pretty extreme. But if it's um, happening at such a young age, if they're having yeah, I mean, memory loss. Or maybe it, that's just what they've trained their minds to do. And that we've got to figure out how the brain evolves from there. Mm-hmm. Right. So this brings brain- up like an interesting question. So somebody asked me this question of a number of months back and um, we were having just kind of like one of those like intellectual arm wrestles and stuff. And he said to me, he's just like, like think of the most knowledgeable person you've ever like come across, not that you've met, but just anybody you've ever heard of or come across, you know, like who would that be? And I'm just like, well, I'm like, I don't know. There's lots of, you know, like you think historically, you think, you know, in the recent past, the present, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, So you're like, okay. You know, like, obviously, you know, there's a point behind this. You're just like, let's just get through the pleasantries and get to the point. And, uh, and he's just like, well, he's like, actually, he's just like, there's no real such thing as an individual being knowledgeable anymore. There used to be. But he's like, you know, knowledge now, as long as you have access to the internet, everybody is on the same intellectual level for knowledge. But he's like, it's very different than like very much like intrinsically knowing that or being able to change that or create something new. But just strictly knowledge, he's just like, you know, we we have these tools that, yes, have replaced our brain. So, like, you know, if you have a, a phone or a computer, you don't need to retain information anymore. Like, there's no, there's very little point in retaining information unless if you want to be a, a master at this craft or you want to create a new rocket engine or you want to perform heart surgery, like, like those things you need to practice. Like there's actually a fundamental, like I need knowledge plus I need physical, practical application I need to build. I need to design. I need to change. But just from an actual knowledge standpoint, there's like, you know, what's the point of learning? What is eight plus eight? Do you really need to know that that is 16? Do you need to remember that that is 16 when you can simply just say, Hey Siri, what is eight plus eight? Yeah. You know, and like, like where's the knowledge that we all value based on the environment we lived in, which is becoming archaic really fast because what in in replace of that, what more advanced knowledge could you put, you could retain 
by shuttling out this kind of more like archaic knowledge because you think that's always the thing that we laugh and joke around about as parents like think of how much stuff you learned in school that you never remembered or ever used so that's kind of like the basis of that principle it's like well if you never learned any of that stuff now so we're still teaching our kids pretty much the same stuff from 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago 40 years ago but what's the more advanced knowledge that they could pertain to what tool in their mind their mind tool or brain tool can they use to be able to take that next leap? Because, you know, like what you were saying is like, are we at an evolutionary stage right now where we're kind of holding ourselves back, you know, maybe a little bit like intellectually and, you know, creatively, you know, like where is that, you know? And I think that's kind of the same thing we talked about with food and, or like is genetically engineered food, the same thing is taking the knowledge outside of your brain and putting it on this device. As long as the device is there, that is fine. But then you get into the conversation, what happens if the devices are gone? Like, what does that do to people? And then our dependence upon them. And then the things like Neuralink that forever connect you with, with the devices. (laughs) I feel like there's something kind of like in there where you're just all like, that's a, a whole lot. I just, yeah, it's, it's just, um, I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of going to go the way it's going to go. Then it's like a new world. You know? Do you think that we're holding back this new world because we're so latched on to like a pen and a piece of paper to make a note instead of a, a voice note on a phone? Like, like, do you think that we are standing in the way of this new reality because of what we've seen in the past and like what we connect with and what this new I think generation. that there's value to to both. I don't think there's anything wrong with a note on a phone. Mm-hmm. But there's value to just the you know like from an OT perspective, the coordination and the brain training to write something mm-hmm. i mean calligraphy in asia is an art form that is t- tied to the person's chi flow mm-hmm. it's um there's something to it and there's something to the way the brain lights up when it sees ink on a page versus print on a device it's a different level of engagement even to the brain on you know in ways that we may not be cognizant of yeah so i i i think that i think that those things are still valuable Mm -hmm. i don't think we're holding ourselves back per se because having those things in place of not in addition to 3d tangible skills is relying on something outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I often think what's interesting too, is like the world that we live in also, you know, through whatever, like, you know, existential force, whether, you know, it's like, 
massive flooding, meteors, like global warming, global cooling, all this kind of stuff. Like it always goes back to resetting. We've we've seen that happen multiple times through the history of our planet, you know, and it almost seems like inevitable that it just always ends back up at square one, which is the most rudimentary form of life. Because, you know, like if anything catastrophic happens, it's not like life starts from that that last most advanced point and then continues on from there. It goes back to the most like rudimentary form of life. And then it's a slow evolutionary progression from there. Is it like, but we, it's funny the roads that we choose as human beings that, you know, and I guess this would be like Eastern medicine where it's, you know, evolved over all of these centuries of like living just more simplicity with, with nature. It's like more like harmoniously with ourselves and, you know, the, the environment around us, you know, but, you know, there's even a lot of countries that are, you know, heavily entrenched in Eastern principles that are really adopting all these like advanced modern ways of life where like, do you, do you think that even like the Eastern countries that are in, you know, entrenched with these philosophies, do you think they're kind of starting to lose their way a little bit at all, or like lose their path? Or like, do you see, there being any kind of change. Yeah, just or... because a teaching comes from somewhere doesn't mean that they're living by it. That's true. Very true. I mean, when I was in India, I was looking for like the natural shampoo and the Ayurvedic toothpaste, you know, and my Indian friend was like, we don't, none of us use that stuff here. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? I don't even know where to tell you to find it. You know what I mean? It's just all like they want the stuff that is the most recent development. You know what I mean? It Mm -hmm. feels to them like going backwards to use Ayurvedic toothpaste. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's not everyone, obviously. But in general, I mean, you walk in the store, you might be able to find Ayurvedic toothpaste, but it'll be like, you know, this mass produced, Mm -hmm. the cheap stuff. You know what I mean? It's not like real... Uh, you know, the genuine article. So um, it's what do you funny think, how that happens. Yeah, what do you think is like the best example or where do you think the best example in the world right now of like an Eastern way of life? Like just through and through, just really living that life, those principles, those methodologies, really connecting with it and perpetuating and I guess more importantly, like like trying to preserve it. Like do you, do you see a shining example of that anywhere in this world right now? Well, I haven't been everywhere, so I don't know. And there's such a mix most places that it it would be like you'd probably have to narrow it down to like a specific community or something like that. But um I mean from what I understand, Burma has a really or I'm sorry, Bhutan has a really phenomenal um, philosophy, politically at least, and they believe in gross national happiness. Yeah. And um, I would say that that's the first thing that sticks out in my mind. That's interesting. I've never, uh, I've never really heard of a country's focus, you know, on people actually being happy mm. you know like you always because every all the western countries is like 
if GDP is good, everybody's happy. And it's like, well, right. like, you know, causation and correlation here. Like, let's, like, let's be real. Just because like GDP may be good doesn't mean that the people are happy. Right. You know, and I'm sure like, there are problems there too, because it's life. There's problems everywhere. But yeah, um, yeah that I, it, it, it makes me want to go to Bhutan, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just check think, it out. Yeah. Do you think that's ever in the cards? Like, would you... Would you go? I don't even know what it's I like. I would there. go. I would go like when Calliope's older. Yeah. Yeah. I'd Is it a like a, a stable country? Like I, I don't know anything. I believe so. Yeah. From what I understand. There's a fun excursion. Um I uh I have some some questions. I this is a little bit different of a topic, but I've been like chomping at the bit in the back of my mind <laughs> to get your opinion on what you think that uh, the the course or the avenue that it seems like we're going down now with all of these um, these COVID vaccines and all these scientists and doctors coming out now talking about how like the risks far outweigh the benefits and really kind of publicly speaking their mind. And it kind of seems like like every day there's somebody either, you know, in the United States or internationally that, you know, in a very public way, whether it be that that Israeli, you know, health minister that is speaking out against them now to the former Australian head of health, her and her wife, um, you know, they experienced, you know, like those vaccine side effects and now the performance against it to those three Japanese health ministers that are to like, you know, just all of the that scientist at, at MIT that does medical analysis couple of days ago, he launched that video, you know, speaking out against them. Um, Dr. Seymour Hotra, he's been traveling around the world, you know, after what happened with his father um, and just, you know, really getting that information out. Um, you know, I've always respected your opinion so much on this topic from the beginning of, of all this. Like, like, what do you see with the manifestation, you know, of all of, uh, of all this information that's coming to light? Um, I think that it should indicate to the mainstream that there is something to look at here for sure i mean it's been my sense all along that it's a very personal decision whether to do that or not to take that vaccine or that kind of a vaccine because to me it just it didn't feel cut and dry energetically and um and I have had clients who were afraid of, of getting it that ended up doing it anyway and had reactions. And I, the reactions weren't, I mean, they were measurable. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I think that, I think that some people's bodies are going to react to whether it's that technology or something that's in it, um, an ingredient or whatever it is, some people are going to react and you're not going to know who it is until it happens at this point. Anyway, they have no way of measuring. I don't think like who's more likely to have a reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really crappy that they pushed those vaccines over some of the others Mm -hmm. that, and denied that the mRNA vaccines were causing reactions that they were documented to cause from the very beginning. 
Mm -hmm. um, in order to rationalize why they were pushing the other ones out because the other ones were also causing it. Um, I don't know if it, if it has something to do with the spike protein itself. Mm -hmm. Like if that's a trigger for a lot of people's immune systems. Um, Because that's the one thing that they've found now that there's, you know, like that spike protein floating from the vaccines floating around in people's bloodstreams. And they're saying that, you know, it can get into the heart, to the liver, you know, to like these different organs, these different places in the body. And that's why they feel like that there's a lot of these adverse reactions happening, happening because it was never supposed to, and it was allegedly designed not to travel transiently through the body. Right. It was supposed to be deactivated after it entered the cell. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, and it was never really supposed to leave the deltoid, you know, from what I understand, I could be completely wrong, like, but it was never supposed to travel active through the bloodstream. No, it wasn't supposed to break loose from whatever, you know, molecular thing they had it sealed up. No, there was, that was not supposed to happen. Yeah. And some of the reactions people have had to the vaccine are reactions that people have had to COVID. Mm -hmm. Like with the heart stuff, and the blood pressure pressure and the you know viral onset of diabetes and like all there's a ton of stuff yeah autoimmune stuff you know lingering pulmonary issues that have no measurable you know data behind them like there's no instrument to measure why this person has x y and z going on with their lungs and their heart it's just so it can and that was the thing too like in the beginning, like I was seeing that people were having from the vaccine, some of the more long-term long COVID reactions that they'd have to an actual infection, which made me think it couldn't just be the vaccine. It has to be something about the spike protein. Yeah. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's the spike protein got loose in some people, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. Well, uh, and the interesting part now is that the the category of people, you know, according to the the FDA, that it's you know supposedly like affecting the most with with um, vaccine adverse side effects, you know, is people who are sixty five years of age and older with the potential stroke within twenty one days, which is the demographic of people that we're trying to save by doing all this because you know it's uh-huh. elderly population of people who are you know the most affected by all this. So I I find the irony of it all now as being a Monday morning quarterback, you know, although we very much have talked a lot about this case the last two or three years and stuff. So it's nothing new. It's not, we haven't had a significant shift of opinion. It's just the irony now is getting to be so rich. And I think on what is it? May 11th or May 21st, Joe Biden is ending the um, pandemic in the United States. Like I've heard a few things around that recently changing the classification of it or something and it's like yeah it goes back to like one of those things where it's like well if that's the case like why not today like what what's what's going to change or what's what changes over the next couple months you know like it's not like we don't know then what we know now or you know anything along those lines and stuff where it's the but it's the thing for me it's I outside of all of that with all of these people now feeling like they have this voice, you know, like internationally and very esteemed people who are clinical researchers, you know, like medical analysts, you know, very, very high medical positions within such countries and institutions. 
it's just it's nice feeling that there's like a, an openness for discussion about it now like people are finally feeling like it's like like let's actually talk about this now like what's going on instead of just kind of saying like oh no things aren't that bad and just continuing down that same path like it seems like that there's some willingness to change now because that was always the hardest part behind all this is for years it just didn't seem like anybody was willing to change their opinion or meet in the middle for an appropriate discussion but it it seems like that now where things can be tabled um and i know that there's a few of these countries that are actually you know, um, legally going after Pfizer now with these agreements that were signed not to hold them liable because of some of the data might have been falsified from the beginning. So they can't get emergency use authorization based on false data or manipulated data. Um, and that's um, what Governor DeSantis, like that's kind of the foundation of his, um, you know, because he assembled that grand jury to go after uh, Pfizer. And there's been a few other countries in Europe that are doing the same thing saying that if you guys manipulated this data, now you're going to be held financially liable. You know, and especially after um, there was that recording released uh, by Project Veritas with that FDA director, you know, where he admitted that they had been mutating the COVID gene or the the COVID DNA sequence and stuff, um, you know, all along. And it's like, well, what does that mean now? Because you guys were genetically engineering this virus at the same time that it was you know, out in the world, like, like what, what is actually happening? So there's, there's a lot of shenanigans that it's nice that people are willing to actually talk about so we can kind of heal from all this, because, you know, just like what we were saying at the beginning, where we've had a lot of this, you know, because of like weather and climate changes and all this kind of stuff, just in our, in our weather systems, how that affects us. Like, I, I really feel like we're at a time where people are open now to like, let's, let's, let's move on past this. So everybody can kind of like, leave COVID behind. Like, let's just, let's not talk, like, let's talk about it, let's deal with it and let's get on with it. I'm excited, like, what, what's the pulse like in New York? Like, you know, um, I only know what it's like locally, like around here in the places that I travel, but what what's the narrative like there still? Um, People are still wearing masks a lot. Not as many, but some. Um. There's still like, you know, if, if, so like with Calliope's school, if she has a cough or a sneeze, as long as she tests negative for COVID, she can go to school as long as she doesn't have a fever. Oh, wow. So the fever thing ever, it's always been that you're not supposed to send your kid to school with a fever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But, you know, now it's that, you know, if, if they're like noses running all over and they're coughing and sneezing, they still want them to go. And part of that is because for the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. if your kid was coughing or sneezing, you kept them home. And then New York state doesn't fund the school the same way because the attendance is so low, right. Then that creates problems with the school budget, I think is the, is the issue. Um, so I had somebody come and knock on the door because we've, I mean, Calliope has been sick. Like, this is the first time, like, we've gone, like, three or four weeks without her being sick since Columbus Day weekend. Oh, wow. That's wild. So, like, every week, 
or every other week she had a fever and we couldn't send her to school. And the doctor's office didn't even want her to come in because they're like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, all the kids have got it. So a lot of kids have been missing a lot of school and they've been sending people around door to door to check on them. Oh, wow. Seeing like that's that like what a it invasive. Yeah, I, I was not happy with that. I don't know if you guys have that sort of thing there, but not around here. We never here. had any like, you know, door knocking going on. But what was happening in, in Alberta was, you know, like just because so many people like, you know, Alberta is a very corporate province although it's a prairie province you know it's like kind of like the midwest but it's like all around oil and gas very corporate you know big business so if any was gonna any population of people is gonna buy into like you know covid you know policy it was kind of calgary and edmonton hook line and sinker to the most part but the problem with that is that all these kids like alberta was one of the hardest hit provinces for children being sick and missing school kind of at the beginning of this year um you know end of last year because like these kids had no immune system they had no immunity yeah. to anything you yeah. know like they just been, what's been happening here yeah so it's like you know nobody's there there's not a whole lot of talk around that it's like you know like you know hospitals were more overwhelmed with children being sick at the beginning of the school year this year than they were during covid but yeah. there was no emergency claimed which is ironic, um, you know, even though hospitals were more technically more overrun, um, yeah. you know, just because like these kids, like they, they, they needed to be out in that. So it's like where you say like, you know, from a tense, I'm sure it has more to do with funding than not, but it's actually great for all these kids and parents because we kind of need to get these children's immune systems like functioning properly again, like what you were talking about, with, like, you know, metabolic flexibility with like, you know, food and time of year. It's like, well, we need that same kind of, you know, immuno flexibility, you know, in these, these children, so they can go back out into the world and not be sick for six months straight. Yeah. That's basically what it was. And it's like in, in this, in this late spring and through the summer too, everybody was sick last year. Yeah. So it might happen again this year and the hope, hopefully next year it'll correct itself because the seasonality of the illness is off as well. Yeah. Um, but you guys literally had people knock on your door. Oh yeah, uh huh. That's wild. Who yeah, was it? Like what? What governing body did that? The school district. The school district has an office with two women, and each woman is assigned a certain number of schools in the district. And she had a clipboard with a list of names on it, and she was going out to make sure the kids were really sick, and that they Are were. They allowed sick. to do that? Like I. I, it seems like that is over. So I know that in New York City, they have truancy officers, but I don't know the, the details or the context under which they operate. From my understanding, usually in this neck of the woods, you don't get any kind of invasive sort of interplay like that unless like, you know, your kid's been out of school for a, a while or a lot and you're not answering the phone. You're not answering yeah. the emails, right? So like the day before, I had just talked to the attendance clerk in the office because she had called to ask me what was going on with her. And I told her, you know, I have to reiterate like where doctor is and that, yes, I did talk to the doctor yeah. and all this stuff. 
And then like the next day I'm on my, I've got like 20 minutes between clients and I go out in the kitchen to grab something to eat. And it's this lady unannounced knocking on the door. And that's after the phone call, a letter home, email, like I'm talking to Calliope's teacher, emailing him, letting him know what's going on. So it was pretty stressful. It was, it felt very invasive to me and controlling and I did not like it. And I understand that there may be a reason for it, but for a seven-year-old in second grade who is completely, yeah, you know, social and participates in all these activities and like, there's, there's no like red flag there to me. And um, I was told it's because so many kids have had, mental and emotional issues surrounding going to school coming out of COVID mm-hmm. that they're checking on people. And I was like, but a seven-year-old is pretending to be sick because she's anxious about going to school. Like I know that that's an issue in the high school. Mm-hmm. And in the but who are these, but like, who are these two women to, for anybody to give them the authority, like they could do a psychological assessment you can have, I mean, that's a deep, deep problem because we like, have social services here that have high school graduates that don't have any um, yeah. advanced training in psychology or sociology that are able to, you know, assess whether parents are worthy of having their children. Well, so because they can't, they can't even find anybody to fill those shoes. So basically anybody who applies for the been job. Way for a long time. I'm sure it's worse now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe they ought to use some of those robots. <laughs> yeah, they probably would do a better job. Yeah, I don't know. Like that don't just put that... The robots in like Bob's Burgers or whatever. Yeah, no doubt. Like <laughs> move over McDonald's go. AI. We're going social and socioeconomic robots here. But like, I don't know. That just blows me away. Like, I just, I don't see how people can justify that kind of behavior. Like, Sending but something. it's being funded. It's like funded by the school budget. So I'm not sure. Like it happened a few weeks ago, and you know, I don't. I don't necessarily know who to talk to about it yet or not. But it's definitely kind of hanging out there in my awareness that you know I should definitely mention that that's mm-hmm. not okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, but like this is just the world that we live in now, right? Where it's like, I feel like a lot of things like that have become socially acceptable to, to right. so many people, you know? And it's yes. just like, we see that even with like the digital currencies that are coming where you had these guys, you know, in London when they kind of all the G7 country financial guys, you know, kind of got together and they're just like, you know, we can basically turn this money on and off when we want, you know, so like, it's like, and you've seen a basic form of that up here during the beginning of COVID. I don't know what it was like down there, but it's like, when you go into a Walmart, like they had caution tape around anything that wasn't food. And so that's basically like turning off your money to be able to, to purchase those things. But this would just be in a more advanced form of that, like not allowing you to be able to purchase items like outside of food or even this, this this quantity of food or you know this thing they're discussing at the world economic forum right now or when it was just going on that we're going to have these these apps that you have to download on your phone to track your own individual carbon footprint to be able to reduce your carbon footprint and it's like 
you know, the invasiveness of all of the, like this shift right now is, is kind of, kind of wild. And, you know, somebody knocking on your door when there's, you know, like a bunch of kids missing school for the same reason, which if you logically look at it, it makes a ton of sense. Well, you know, the doctor's have... office even says so. Yeah. If the doctor's seeing it, why aren't, why isn't the state talking to public health? Why are they talking to the parent of the sick kid? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, that just seems wild to me that that, you know, making the budget more flexible or, you know, whatever it is that they have to do. Like, it's not our fault that nature is happening. And and all (laughs) under that guise, like, like, Bridget, we just have your daughter's, you know, health. We're just looking out for her. Like, trying to look over my shoulder in the house. I'm like, you want to come in my house? Also, without a mask on, she's got 105 fever. Yeah. Like, I don't think so. Yeah. I know. Like, it is, and oh. I just, when everybody, when that narrative gets pushed out there that it's like, I'm doing this for your, your best interest, mm-hmm. it's like, no, 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 no. I'm an adult. Oh, and here and here's an expired box of covid tests so she gives she's like oh yes so i'm just trying and then here's these tests and i'm like thanks these expired last year she's like oh they're still good oh. <laughs> that doesn't tests that were notoriously <laughs> inaccurate anyway and then it's like here now they've expired use them because yeah. the as long as she she can have a cough as as long as you know she's just coughing and and sneezing she can still go to school mm-hmm. i mean that's up to me to decide as a parent if my kid is coughing so hard she's puking i'm not sending her to school especially when i know her teacher has a wife with who's getting cancer treatment why yeah. am i gonna do that yeah you know but but yeah she was pretty convinced that what she was doing was noble i mean i'm sure for some people it might be but this was the wrong context yeah no absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know like, like what I would do in a scenario like that. If just knowing that that that's what was happening, you know, like with the, with the door knocking, it's like with the, we seen that up here with like the travel. I don't know what it was like down there with the travel, but if you traveled internationally during COVID and you had to quarantine, but you could quarantine at your home, they would send the police to your house randomly to make sure that you were there. Like, and it's just like, to think how crazy that is that a random inspection at any time during the day, because you're supposed to be there 24 hours a day. So at like one o'clock in the morning, they can knock on your door and you you're obligated legally back then to answer your door and to be able to report to the police knowing that they could check in and make sure that you're there. Then they shouldn't have been allowing international travel. I mean, if that's the links that you think you have. So, I mean, and that's even, I mean, that's not the answer either. It just, it's just mind boggling. The sheriff here said he wasn't going to enforce anything. Yeah. Like people were getting reported to public health, like practitioners that were like sick with COVID, getting other people sick, not wearing masks in their practice. And the public health was responsible to report it to the sheriff, but the sheriff sent out a public statement that he wasn't going to enforce any of it. Yeah. So it was it's just like, like where does it you know, because like once somebody well, walked, well, stopped with the sheriff in that instance, yeah, but yeah, if you he know would what have I mean? bought into it, then it would have been like what it was here, where like you know, because like mm-hmm. like my thing was like you know, like even if somebody came to your door and 
they realized at that point in time that you weren't there and you would get these like $5,000 fines. Like they were like outrageous fines that like, and I think some of them were even more like egregious than that. The crazy part is, is now like all this information has come out that the liberal government up here spent like $19 million on these, these quarantine hotels. And there was like 17 people who stayed in them. Oh my God. You know what I mean? And so like, like that's the reality, but the, the, the worst yeah. part of Bridget is that this person, like you said, came to your place a couple of weeks ago. The, these, this thing with the police, I think ended a year ago or you somewhere around in there, but this was well after, and in your case, so far after of like any of like this, like kind of COVID narrative being like ultra bad or like as bad as what we thought was like we have a clear understanding of generally what it is now who it's affecting like you know the worst case scenarios the worst case scenarios for the demographics like all the kind of data is generally out there now but we're still kind of living in that crazy like orwellian environment which is just it's not over with like the everything has changed and it seems to me like it's continuing to shift and we're not exactly sure what direction it's headed, but it doesn't always feel so great. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, we're as a whole, I mean, I know I'm not always comfortable with change and, and, and a lot of people aren't. And so it's, it's like people keep, I keep hearing like clients will come in and be like, when is it just going to go back to normal? I'm like, this is normal. You have mm-hmm. to adapt on a day to day, a moment to moment, a month to month basis, you know, it's, it's different now. Like if you're going to travel, it's not like in the old days where, you know, you made a, a scheduled a trip to Disney and you went on it come hell or high water. It's like now, well, am I going to be able to go? Are the other people in our group going to be sick? Because there's still all this COVID testing thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, it's just, things are just different. Things are different. And if you're not okay with it, you're going to be pissed off and scared. And I don't know what else to say because it's just changing and changing and changing. It is that. And I think the the problem with this is that it changed so much, so many different facets of people's lives in such a profound way so quickly that that's why we want to kind of scale it back so much. And, And I'm a proponent of like, I want it to scale back significantly to kind of more where it was before. It's my own personal opinion, but it's just like when there's what change is hard, like what you said, like everybody yeah. struggles with change, but like massive compound change of like what we've seen in a year and then being told, cause like, it's not that the change happened. We were, we were all told for years, it's going to go back to normal. Like I had somebody post the other, I seen somebody post the other day on Twitter. Do you remember the first time somebody said two weeks to flatten the curve? And I was like, holy shit, I totally forgot about that. You know, but then it was like another, yeah. And then it was like, and then they just stopped saying it after like two or three times of this two weeks to flatten the curve thing. And then they just, that was no longer anything anybody said because it's just like, you know, we got to switch to vaccines and then it switched to this. And then it's always kind of switched under the guise of we need to do this to go back to normal. We need to do this to go back to how it was. But then everybody did all this stuff and nothing ever went back. Well, no. 
some things did, but like people's lives had changed so much by then and policy had changed so much by then. And, you know, division of it happened so much by then that, you know, like this is where people have been left. It's like, well, you always told me that I could go back to doing what I was doing and life as I walked around before would look the same, but it's not like, so when is it, you know, and I think that's where a lot of people are caught. Yeah, there isn't an answer for that. And like, even this stuff with her school and the attendance and all that kind of like, all the sickness is, is still that's a shift. That's still part of COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, and and there is still quarantine policy in the United States, unless he does lift it in May. Mm -hmm. And then what's gonna I mean, uh, there's so many layers, but I mean, everything is different. I mean, everything, how much people are getting paid. Mm -hmm. Like, where are the people that usually work all the jobs that we need so that, you know, like people keep coming in complaining about eggs being expensive. Well, we had a massive, massive poultry calling last year. I don't know how many people realize millions and millions and millions of birds. Factory farms completely annihilating their entire poultry stack. People don't realize that. So of course the price of eggs are going to go up. Plus where are the people that normally work in those places? Like why are like burger joints closing and why are pharmacies closed on weekends and stuff like that? Because where's the staff? Where are people getting the money from that used to work those jobs? I don't even exist. For us, it's even rec centers. You know, like our rec centers here now are like, they're closed early, closed at noon, closed at four. The the hours are different. Restaurants are closed two or three days a week. Some of them it's, it's, it's weird because for so long, that wasn't the case. Yeah. And now it just is. And it's still an adjustment. I mean, if you're like 30, 40, 50 years old and or older and you grew up with things a certain way, it's really hard to wrap your head around a lot of the changes. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So Yeah, and I can't imagine like how can you could you imagine on the flip side of that is just starting your life. You know, at the beginning of COVID, if you were sixteen to twenty one and you're kind of just starting your life and you end up being in that pocket of time during this last three years at least with all of us we're like I know what once was I know it's attainable I know it's achievable I know if I do this there's this outcome if I do this there's this result these people are just like I've always been told this thing and now there's none of that and then it's like another thing that the Canadian government is being persecuted for is I guess they gave all the inmates the free money checks up here, the CERB payments that they got. Oh, there. No. Like, can you explain like how all these inmates should have got these CERB payments? So, they, so it's like, but all these kids, because 14 and older up here got all the free money. And then the uh, Revenue Canada up here said that we're launching investigations into the fraud because there's billions of dollars worth of fraud of people who are claiming these payments that never should have got them. Well, now they just came out a week ago we could go and said we're actually not going to re- to to investigate any of this because there's just too much they don't have the resources to be able to go after all of these people they shouldn't have given it out to begin with if they were going to go back on it yeah well, i and mean these are, and these yeah. are the things you know and if 
and they told, so this is what the liberal government told everybody up here at the beginning. They're less like, everybody apply. We'll approve everybody to get this money. We want you to have money. We don't want you to suffer. Everybody apply. Right. We'll agree. We'll go back later on. And we just, we're going to go on the honor system. Please don't take advantage of this system, you know, and let's oh, figure it out. The infrastructure set up for it. Yeah. So what did most people do who own their own business? Stop paying themselves because now you don't have an income. And then they collected the CERT payments. This is the one of the biggest points of contention because where's the most annual income coming from in any westernized country? Small business. People who own yeah, their own business. Yeah, but what's considered small? Just kind of, I, I, you know, certain. You know what I, mean? like some, yeah. I know CEOs of companies that stopped paying themselves, collected the money just for fun, and then started paying themselves again. Or like, you know, people who could pay their mortgage had more than enough financial means to pay their mortgage. And they're just like, well, I'm just going to defer my mortgage just for fun. Well, because- sure. And then they just go buy another house or something. Yeah. With the extra. And yeah. Then I th- I have no doubt that that happened here too. Yeah. Because they are saying they're like starting to look into right now. They're saying people like false social security numbers that aren't actually tied to the person they say they're supposed to be tied to like, you know, millions of dollars of money was gone. And they think in that, and that's one of the things they're saying, but you know, if you're going to give it out and you don't have the resources, honestly, you just, I think you just have to, I mean, that stuff is going to happen. They had to have known that stuff was going to happen. And I don't want to get investigated for being above board because they're now regretting that they gave out money. Look at how much money they gave the banks in 2008. They could have given all of us $10,000, $20,000 checks and we could have gone out and bought stuff and, you know, boosted the economy that way. But no, they, so it's not like they can't come back from that. You know, I, I I don't know. I, that's my personal feeling on it is that they, they knew that people were going to misuse it. Well, and that's, and and like, were people that really needed it. Yeah. And you know, and like that's in, in, the the point behind all this is, is just like, now you have all of these people and especially these kids who are just starting off life that all they know what it's like to be an adult is to get free money from the government. That's how they funded their well, life. Yeah, you guys years. got it longer than we did, though. Yeah, like two years. For, yeah, so we didn't have that here. So that you're talking about a whole totally different thing than I have, have experience yeah. with. Oh, 100% because like it went from basically one program to another program. And the problem is, is because we had a couple of elections during this time. So then, you know, Justin Trudeau, he leveraged all of these payments. You know, he was supposed to cancel it. But like two months before the federal election that he called, that was two years earlier than it should have been. A couple months before the election, he's like, you know what? I'm going to extend all these CERB payments that everybody gets. Keep collecting your free money. Well, what do you think is going to ironically happen, you know, because he's giving everybody free money? Lo and behold, he becomes prime minister again. Then he scraps the program when he gets in office, but then starts a whole another program that lasted like another year or so. You know, but it's just like, how do you keep people voting for you? Keep giving them free money. You know, it's like how he keeps getting, you know, elected in these elections. Just keep giving people free money. Well, it's of course a classic they're giving thing. It. It's a classic thing. 
the person in elementary school who gives out the pencils with the fuzzy yeah. creature on the top is going to get elected to the school council. Yeah. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you guys are going through the same thing in the States right now, right? With letting in all of these, um, you know, illegal aliens into the country. But then now there's like the, with the Democrats, you know, it's kind of being kicked around that they're going to let all these people who aren't um, American citizens vote or that you don't need a driver's license to vote in some states. Well, it's like, of course, you're going to vote for, you know, who's ever, you know, Democratic office if they're having free open borders and then allowing you to be able to vote because you want all your family to be able to come in or you want your friends to come in or you just want to stay in the country. If this is an avenue for you to stay in the United States, well, of course, you're going to keep voting for that. You're never going to vote for a Republican president who wants to close the borders and, you know, put people in detainment centers to be able to deport them, you know, back to their country of origin and all that kind of stuff. Like, of course, you're not going to do that. But like, what policymakers in their right mind would allow people to be able to vote without a driver's license? Like, that is just such a recipe for disaster. Yep. Like, it's, this is the world. This is our change we're talking about that we have to accept where we're at right now, right? That's part of it, yeah. It's part <laughs> of it. As wild as it may seem. Yeah, it is wild. And heading for a recession. Yep. Yeah, 2023 recession, right? And BC, where I live, is going to be the hardest impacted in Canada, they say, by the recession. So it'll be interesting to see how 2023 plays out. Yeah. Yeah. You have to say something super positive to be able to to end our podcast here this morning. Something that's not talking about uh, politics and uh, Serb payments and cross-border or... um, wallless borders and lawlessness and chaos in our world like end end us off with like some ray of sunshine right now so i read a quote from technathan this morning and it was something to the effect of if you want to change what's happening in the world you have to change those things in yourself first you have to deal with the anger deal with the fear the frustration the grief whatever it is and then once you shift that yourself because you are also the world you have shifted that in the world and what you emanate as a result of doing that will naturally be contagious to others Mm. and help to shift the whole dynamic so absolutely starting with oneself is the best place yeah i agree well thank you bridget after all this time appreciate it time flew by as usual and i look forward to doing this again me too have a good day